Welcome to the Luminous Podcast, weekly meditations, readings, and blessings to assist with our rest, peace, and spiritual wellness. You can find out more at LuminousAnglican.com. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In my home, I keep a file of old letters. I love to collect letters that were written to me over the years, and particularly, I have a few letters that are more precious than all the others. Uh, one of them is from my grandfather, who featured very prominently uh, in me coming to faith in my high school years. I used to sit with him on his front porch swing. He became a follower of Jesus in his 50s. And, uh, and he would sit with me on this front porch swing and he would be on his oxygen you know, tank. He could just have little chips of ice. And, uh, and he would teach me about women. To this day, I'm very grateful. Key insights were, were gleaned. And, uh, and he would talk to me about money and he would talk to me about just how to walk through life steadily. And, and, and he left you know, a great legacy in me. Uh, my own father, like my grandfather, was a writer. And so my, grand, so my father would write letters, and I see that now genetic passage of writing all through our family line. My, my one daughter is a prolific uh, writer and actually does it for a living. But my father began uh, to write down uh, some of the things that, that he cared about through his life. And, and at one point, I said to him, I can't remember how many years ago it was, but I said to him, hey, Dad, if I sent you 10 questions, uh, would you just give me just a little paragraph on each just to let us know, you know, what, what was important to you, maybe some of the things you cared about as a young man, as a middle-aged man in your, in your elder years. And, and I just gave him this list of questions. And my father came back uh, years later with a tome of letters, basically, to us as his children and to his grandchildren and for and uh, anyone who would read them thereafter. And uh, they were deeply personal. And letters are interesting in that letters are written with the ink of relationship. And in the New Testament, there are 27 books. 21 of those are letters. 13 of them are letters written by one particular apostle, the Apostle Paul. And the ink of relationship is throughout them because not only is he writing from a place of mutual knowing, but he's also writing for an increased unveiling, almost a, a welcoming of the iterative knowing that relationships involve. And so Philippians, our passage in the New Testament, comes from a letter that Paul is writing from prison to people he has come to deeply love. And while he doesn't know whether his next day will bring his death, which he says is actually not his great sacrifice, he says his great sacrifice is staying here. He's like, the real challenge for me is not going to be with Jesus. It's staying here to be with you, but it's worth it. And in this exchange of love, there is joy because they've sent him money in prison. You couldn't get money or food in, in prison, and they were caring for him from a distance. It was the first church he planted in Europe. 
basically, and we see this flourishing of relationship that sits at the center. And so um, the intended recipients are, are postured to receive a word of counsel from their dear friend. And just as these letters are intended not only for my father's children directly, with their layered meanings that I would have to explain to you if you read a sentence, but we would all share knowing glances around the room, he also intends that the, the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren and the great-grandchildren will not only read them, but will have someone to explain to them some of the layered meanings that are behind them. And that's, of course, the great oral tradition that, that can come from even a written tradition. So Paul comes to this moment and he decides he's going to write a letter. And in our lectionary reading, we've gone to perhaps the most glorious part of the letter to the Philippians because it actually sits at the very center and all roads in the letter point back to it. Paul's going to articulate for them in one short poetic narrative, the way of Jesus. And he's going to do it in such a way that he's going to capture Jesus' life, Jesus' death on a cross, the resurrection, his ascension and exaltation in one poetic expression. So we come to this passage, and I'd just like to read part of it again. And you know, I just had a memory uh, this morning, and I kind of welled up. The last time I read this passage out loud, I actually was standing on the ruins of Philippi with a group of fellow um, students. And it just moved me again that these things transcend time and space. This is Paul's letter to you and I in these moments. And I'll read uh, from uh, verse two to, to 13 and then draw on the central part. He says, if then there's any comfort you have in Christ, any consolation, any partnership with the Spirit, any tender affection and sympathy, Make my joy complete. Now at this point in a letter, letters are meant to be taken personally, so you can take all this personally, what's about to be said. He says, be of the same mind. Be of the same love. Be in full accord and one of mind together. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, friends, family. But in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And then the poem begins. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God, being in that position in his life as the one overseeing it all. He didn't consider this equality as something to be grasped at, to be, to be gripped at, to be pursued. But instead, he emptied himself. Kenosis. He poured out his life for the sake of others. He took the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself. We'll come back to this word, humility, in a moment. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, and here he's saying, therefore, this is the way, friends. This is the way to be human. Therefore, God exalted him 
from this low state. Even more highly, gave him the name that's above every other name so that at the name given to Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then he finishes with this. Therefore, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed me, responded to me when I've said something, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Please work on your own salvation. Just work on it. See it as a long conversion to Jesus. See it as layer upon layer upon layer of transformation, rather than always just wanting the quick fix. He didn't say that. I'm saying that now. I'm just adding that in. For God, it is God who is at work in you. You are not on your own. Somebody say, hallelujah, I'm not on my own, just in your spirit. I'm not on, you're not on your own. For it's God who's at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this letter has a context, and I shared some of it. But I love what Madame Guillaume says. She says that when we approach the scriptures, when we pray the scriptures, when we enter them in such a long, lingering way, in a savoring way, that they begin to enter us. She said, you're doing it like a bee that penetrates the deepest nectar of a flower. You stay there. And so I want to just stay in the passage for a few moments together. There's a context in which Paul is saying this idea that Jesus humbling himself understood that this was the path to fullness of exaltation. And the context was this. Nero was emperor at the time. And he's writing to a church in a city called Philippi, which is named after Philip of Macedon, who was Alexander the Great's dad. And in Philippi, any retired Roman soldier would go back to Philippi, would set up shop in Philippi, and it basically was home base for all the patriots, not New England patriots, but... Yeah, um, I just had a moment because I actually don't follow football, and I, I literally thought, it's New England, right? Um, which is dark and wrong to some of you, but to me, it's just normal. Um, so, World Cup's different, but football's my issue. Uh, but uh, where was I? It was, it was such a fun... Um, Philippi. So he's writing to them, and these are basically the patriots of the emperor call. These are the ones who follow the way of the emperor, who honor the emperor as the living God, a common phrase for them. Alexander started it. They realized he was so good at what he did, he obviously must be divine. And so that passed on. So emperor is the living God for them, and it works for them because there are three values that sit at the center of Philippian society. Their ambition, status, and wealth. This is the God they worship embodied in the emperor. Now I know that's a shock to imagine a civilization with those three values running through it, but it was the case at the time. J. Randall Wallace, he writes this, he says, the emperor cult saturated Roman culture. 
and the people of Philippi, many of whom were retired soldiers or had considerable pride and devotion to the cult and to Roman law and culture, which emphasized those three values, ambition, status, and wealth. And that combination of values stood as this impenetrable wall to the known world of the time. And into this, Jesus walks square into the middle and embodies literally a new way of being a human being. Humility was not a normalized idea in their society. No leader was humble before this point. Those values permeated all leadership historically. That's what they saw, except maybe for Socrates, who was unusual in his own unique ways. But Jesus walks on the scene, and he takes on this humility and this utter upside-down kingdom of one who will come, be understood to be God and expressing the divine nature in all his words and works. He will see himself as one who washes feet one who empties himself of ambition and status and wealth in order to see everyone else in the room elevated when they walk out after they've encountered him. He wants them to be more impressed with the shining image of God in them, with the beauty of the God who loves them, to revel in their belovedness and then to live and move out of the overflow of that love than he does wanting them to be impressed with his great words or power. That is the way of the God who pursues us, who dies for us, who lives within us. And so we have this moment where this Christian anthem, this poetic piece comes bursting on the scene and it stands as a marker of the telos, the end goal of the Christian life. And this is the end goal of the Christian life according to this passage and anything else we see from the Gospels all the way through. It is this. It is union with God in Christ. That is the end goal of the Christian life. All streams run to this river of you and I coming into union with God in Christ and living from that belovedness overflow in self-giving love in the world around us. So to ambition whether it was in the Philippians day or in ours, we hear these words. To ambition we hear, let the same mind be in you. The mind of Christ, who saw serving as the way forward, who saw serving as the way to life. To wealth, he says, he did not regard equality with God. Having everything, owning everything is something you grasp after, that you build your life on. To status, it says he emptied himself. And then he comes to us and he says, as I emptied myself, you go now and you empty yourself. There's a moment in Acts 5.20, it's just a, a fascinating reference point where the apostles are released from prison. And an angel comes to them at that point of release and says, now you go back out there, even though they told you not to, and you go proclaim this new life, this way of being in the world. And the words, this new life, are what are used. Before Christianity had a name, before they knew what even to call themselves, the angel said, it's a new life. It is other in the world. Before Christianity was a what? 
it was a way. Before it was a religion, it was a way, a rule of life. Before it was something you claimed, it claimed you. And at this point, and at this time in which you and I are alive, this morning, and in the days, and the weeks, and the months, and the years that will follow from now, we are invited into the fullness of this way. And these rhythms, these patterns, this long, as, as a mentor of mine used to say, this long water dripping on stone, it doesn't look like much when you come up and kneel at an altar and take the bread and cup. But over time, it'll carve a canyon. It'll make you a different kind of human in the way of Jesus. Lord, we receive your word with gladness. If you would like more information or ways to be a part of Luminous, please go to LuminousAnglican.com. Peace be with you.